0: Good day, everyone. Uh, It's good to be with you, even if it's remotely. And I trust that you've already read our passage, which is John 14, 15 to 31. If you haven't read that, take a moment, pause the video, and read that now. But once you've read that passage aloud together, uh, then we can meditate together on God's word. So in the United States right now, As you may be aware, there is a presidential primary happening um, in the Democratic Party. And right now, presidential candidates are dropping out of the race left and right. Uh, It's interesting to watch the press conferences when these candidates drop out. The candidate announces that they are suspending uh, their campaign. And then when these press conferences are happening, there's a room full of supporters there. And all of these supporters have been with the candidate, some of them for months, even years, perhaps. And they've hoped that all of their efforts would eventually pay off, that this person would be elected. They've loved and they've trusted this politician. They've believed that he or she could change the course even of American history if they won. But now they're dropping out. And as the candidate says the words, I am suspending my campaign For president. You can see hearts drop, you can see faces drop, you can even sometimes see tears drop. And when you're watching this, even if you don't love or support this candidate, you feel bad for the people in the room that have to experience it, because their hopes are gone, and soon the cameras will be gone, uh, the reporters will be gone, their candidate will even be shuffled off of the public stage. And with their candidate their hopes for a different future are also gone. Well, in our passage here, Jesus has been talking about how important uh, his trip to Jerusalem is for his ministry and for his mis- his mission. And so his disciples are anxiously awaiting the climax of his mission and ministry. Their master, they believe, is going to become the master, the Messiah. And so they share this feast together in the upper room and the disciples think that they're having kind of a victory party before the actual victory. But then Jesus starts talking and it seems like he is making a campaign suspension speech right before their eyes. And the disciples start to think, is Jesus dropping out of the Messiah race here? And Jesus says, I am going away chapter 13, verse 36, where are you going, Peter asks. Jesus says, eventually you're going to follow me to where I'm going. And then Thomas says, chapter 14, verse five, but we have no idea where you are going. And then Philip is next. He says, listen, give us and give the world an appearance and experience of your father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, chapter 14, verse nine, You've been around me this whole time. Don't you know if you see me, you've seen an appearance of the Father? And so it's all so confusing for the disciples. And it's like they're saying, please don't drop out, Jesus. Don't drop out of the race. And then in verse 22 of chapter 14, which we've read together, we have another confused question from another disciple. This one from Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas in the room. And he says, You're the one who shows the Father's glory. You're saying that we will see his glory in you and you're telling us that we will experience it. But my question is, Jesus, why just us? The Messiah is supposed to show God's glory to the whole world through Israel. Why are you showing yourself just to us and not to everyone? You see, the disciples, they want and hope for a big change. And actually Jesus's own words and his actions have given them the expectation that a big change is coming, uh, both for Israel and for the whole world through Jesus. But the things that Jesus says then to the disciples in the upper room, they sound like the opposite of big change. It sounds like Jesus is suspending his campaign and he's going away. And this is the opposite of what they thought his trip to Jerusalem was all about. Yes, Of course, we think you're great, Jesus. Yes, we feel privileged that we've been able to be on the inside of your campaign, your mission from the start. It's been so great to learn from you, to be inspired by you, even to have the chance to speak for you, to imitate you, to really embody your mission and ministry and your hopes for Israel and the world in our own ministry. But we did not expect to come into the capital city with you the city where King David once reigned from the throne, only to hear you announce that you are quitting and leaving. Yes, of course, Jesus will never be the same. All that is true. This campaign has changed us, but don't tell us that the campaign is over. Don't tell us that you won't be king after all on David's throne. Why are you going to show yourself to just us? The whole point of a Messiah campaign is to show God's glory to the whole world through Israel. So what is Jesus' response then to this question? He tells them four secrets, and we'll kind of unpack these briefly here this morning. Things that he tells them, they're not going to understand right away, but these four things that he tells them they will understand and they will rejoice in once he has accomplished them. So what are these four things that he teaches them? The question is, are you quitting Jesus? And the first thing Jesus is teaching his followers is that no, he is not suspending his Messiah campaign. He has in fact come to Jerusalem to take David's throne. Look at verse 28 here of chapter 14. Jesus says, you ought to be glad that I'm going to my father because my father is, after all, greater than me. And it's a bit confusing to the disciples, maybe even to us as we read it. What is he saying? Jesus says, in fact, in verse 30, he's not going to say much more about this. He's just going to let it hang there. But later it becomes very clear what he's saying. Jesus' return to his father means that he has sat down at his father's right hand in glory. He has taken the throne of the heavenly Jerusalem after going to the cross outside of the earthly Jerusalem. He is, in fact, the one who sits on David's throne forever, the one who rules the world and rules it in grace and glory and truth. And so instead of calling off his Messiah campaign, Jesus says, you're not going to understand it yet, but later you will understand that actually I'm doing the opposite. I'm taking the throne and I'm ruling. The second thing that he teaches them, the second secret that he lets them in on is this. They're going to understand this later too and not now, but he says, I am actually giving you the peace that you have so longed for, for all this time. See, when Jesus' disciples joined his messianic campaign and went with him, they knew what it was all about. It was about peace. When Jesus said, follow me, leave your nets there by the shore and come with me, they knew exactly what he was promising, peace. People have been doing this all the time, trying to become the Messiah and trying to gather people around them. And in fact, peace, shalom in Hebrew, is a hope and a promise that the Hebrew people carried with them for hundreds and hundreds of years. And shalom, peace, means not just wars stopping, and not just our enemies being defeated, but it actually entails the result of that cessation of hostilities as well. The result is under conditions of peace, you will have the full flourishing of every person in every sphere of life economic and political and social prosperity. That's what Shalom meant. The unleashing of all kinds of creative and productive energy for the people of Israel, for the sake of the world, under a king of Shalom, a king of peace. And that's what everyone expected when the Messiah would come. And Jews in the first century, of course, couldn't experience this kind of peace. Why? because the Roman Empire was occupying their land and, in fact, the whole known world. There was, of course, what we call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and the economy under this kind of peace is doing okay, propped up as it was by the Roman sword, but there was clearly no shalom. But then Jesus says in verse 27 here, I am not quitting my Messiah campaign, And I will not fail to bring the peace that you have longed for. And he says to them, my peace is not the peace that the world brings. This is not the Pax Romana here. My methods also won't be the same as Rome's methods. The peace that I establish, the Pax Christi, we might say, will be different. Israel and then through Israel, the whole world will finally flourish. So if the question is, Jesus, Why are you showing yourself to us, but not to the world? Jesus's answer is, don't worry. I am first taking the throne. And also don't be discouraged. I am bringing peace. And then third, he says to them, don't be afraid because I am defeating your greatest enemies. I'm taking the throne. I'm bringing peace. And thirdly, I'm going to defeat your greatest enemies. At the end of verse 30 here, he hints at this. Jesus says that the prince of this world is about to show himself. Uh, We've been talking about David's throne a little bit in the sermon already, but don't forget also David's path to the throne. Remember, Israel is being harassed by her enemies, the Philistines in this case. The Philistines have a secret weapon that's not so secret, actually. It's the giant Goliath. And Goliath has been scaring Israel to death and cursing them and taunting them. And then young David comes along to come and bring some food to his family members at the front lines. And he sees this Goliath cursing Israel's God and taunting everyone. And he sees Israel's army shaking in fear. And he decides that he's gonna go and face this giant one-on-one, man-to-man, and he's gonna wear no royal armor to do it. And when this giant starts hurling curses at him, when this giant starts roaring, then he comes back to the giant Goliath and says, in the name of the Lord, I'm going to defeat you. And that's exactly what he does. And when Goliath falls to the ground dead, the Philistine army runs away. And so what David has done is he has brought Israel peace, hasn't he? Well, Jesus is saying that on the way to David's throne, he will also defeat our greatest enemy. The prince of this world, he says, uh, verse 30, the prince of the world, this devil, this personification of all the evil and the cursing and rebellion and hate in the world is about to show himself. And Jesus is going to go into hand-to-hand combat with this enemy. And this prince comes cursing Jesus and cursing Jesus' followers and threatening everyone and stealing away the possibility of peace. In the Bible, the devil is the accuser. He's the one that comes waving our sins in front of us and saying, you have no right to be children of God. Who do you think you are? The devil is the one that comes and says, you've got to surrender, and you've got to join forces with me or else you have no chance. In fact, the devil says, you belong to me. And Jesus tells his disciples to the contrary, that he's about to go into combat with this fake prince, the prince of this world, this boasting Goliath. And Jesus goes to the cross and he defeats this enemy. In fact, he defeats the world and the flesh of, of our sin and this accusing devil, this prince of the world, all at the same time in the cross. And just like Israel and the Philistines both together learned that God was God when David rose up and defeated Goliath, the whole world and not just the disciples are in fact going to see Jesus defeating the world's greatest enemy. The world will see that, Jesus says, that he loves his heavenly father so much that he will do everything that his father commands. The world will see that Jesus brings real peace by disarming the prince of this world and silencing the boasts and the curses of evil with the power, he says, of love, love that's shown at the cross, love that's shown triumphant finally at the empty tomb, and one day love and peace and glory that will be shown to the whole world. But you know what I think that really bothers the disciples as Jesus is saying all of this stuff that is enigmatic to them, that they can't understand yet. They think he's quitting his campaign, but actually that's not what bothers him them so much. You know what I think bothers them? I think it's that he's calling his disciples to actually carry on his campaign after he goes away. You know, when these polit- uh, political figures, these candidates, suspend, when they end their campaigns, they always say the same thing in their speeches, don't they? They say what? They say, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting on you. I will continue to fight, and I'll continue to fight for you, and I'll fight with you, and together, in fact, we will fight and fight and fight until this country becomes the country that it could be, until it reaches its potential, until things really change. Every speech Is like this. It's kind of a weird way to quit, right? But that's how politicians quit. And how do their supporters, by the way, like the idea of kind of quitting but not quitting? How do they like it when the dropout candidate looks at them and says to them, it's up to you now to keep fighting, to carry on this cause? My guess is probably, at least not in that moment, very inspired at all. It's hard to carry the spirit of a failed political candidate, isn't it? To take that spirit in your heart and to go forward bravely, when after all, it's a failed political candidate whose spirit you're trying to carry, whose cause you're trying to bear. But Jesus is telling his disciples, it might look like it right now, but I am not a failed political candidate here. There were lots of failed messiahs in the years leading up to Jesus's coming and their followers went away as soon as the Messiah went away. Usually the Messiah led an armed uprising and then was killed and the movement stopped. And it was pretty clear this is not the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die trying to liberate Israel. The the Messiah's followers go away when the Messiah goes away. Question to ask ourselves is, have Jesus's uh, followers gone away? And the answer is, of course, uh, no, not for 2000 years. And that's because he not only died, that would have been the end of it, right? But he overcame death and rose again from the dead. Jesus' followers don't like his plan, right? Because to them, it sounds like he's announcing the end of his Messiah campaign telling him, them that he's going to die, he's going away, and that they need to just carry the spirit of Jesus in some vague way with them, even though he dies. But of course, what they'll realize later is that he's telling them and us, as we read today, that the spirit of the resurrected king, who is alive, will live in us. He says in verse 19, because I live, you also will live. And as we live our lives filled with the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? Well, we're turning the world upside down in a way that politicians could only hope to do. We are bringing bit by bit, relationship by relationship, peace, shalom. And we're doing it through love rather than the sword. Love that disarms the forces of hate and rebellion all around us. Jesus is going to show himself to us. He's gonna do it over and over again, he promises. He will remind us, he says here, through his Holy Spirit that he is in fact on the throne. He'll remind us of everything that he taught us while he was with us. And he'll remind us that his commandments to love one another come straight from the throne of the universe where actually our conquering king reigns on David's throne and reigns there at his father's right hand forever. Friends, the question here is, are you are you alive with the life of the resurrected and reigning king who reigns from the throne and whose spirit is now moving through your own body and spirit? Are you seeing the advance of his kingdom coming through your simple but confident acts of love and mercy? Are you watching peace take hold in ways that no army or politician could ever bring? Are you sticking with our Messiah, our Messiah candidate, who is actually no longer candidate, but the reigning king, no matter what? And the answer is from John's gospel, chapter 14, that you should, because our man is no politician that's begging for votes and hoping for a chance, begging for people to choose him. But rather, our man, the Lord Jesus, is the reigning king who is bringing, even as we speak, peace. His presence is actually closer to you now than it was to his disciples when he was eating with them in the upper room because his presence is inside of you by his spirit. And all the enemies that stand against him and against us they have absolutely no hold over him or over us. And so no matter what happens today, this Lent during this global pandemic that we're facing or any day between now and when you take your last, last breath, you can take heart. The call of this passage is let us take heart because in fact, our Jesus is on the throne. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for King Jesus who reigns and rules over all things. And we ask that his rule would so impact our lives that we would live for his glory, being his ambassadors of peace through deeds of love and mercy every day until he comes again. And may he bring peace and do it soon. We ask it in his name, amen.